Future Proof Extra from News Talk. Now, the search for extraterrestrial life is perhaps the holy grail of science. And as human beings, we're desperately preoccupied by the quest to find life out there. But what if the answers to questions of how life may have arrived on this planet is not above us, but beneath us? What can endo-terrestrials here on Earth tell us about the very genesis of all things? Well, Alexis S. Templeton, Associate Professor of Geological Sciences at the University of Colorado, joins us now. Hi, Alexis. How are you? Hi. It's lovely to be with you today. Well, Colorado is a, a, a good place to be studying this. I associate it with rocks and, and underneath our feet. Um, that's what most people think of. They think of rocks and uh, magma. And uh, and probably not much else. And and the idea that there could be something living beneath us is sort of a crazy idea, given all of the pressure and temperatures and all the other things that we imagine uh, happen uh, under the Earth. Yeah, I think that that idea that there's so much rock that isn't too hot but might be an entire habitat for life is one that is starting to grow but is not sort of the conventional wisdom. How is a rock a habitat for anything? <laughs> well, I mean, in many ways, it has all of the ingredients we need for life. So we start with looking for water, whether we're looking on Earth or on other planets. And even on Earth, most of the water that we use is actually drawn from the rocks underneath our feet. And it's in that same water that's in all of the fractures and in the pore spaces in the rocks that there's often also other components, particularly chemical energy available that, that organisms can use to live. What do you mean the water is drawn from the rocks? I don't know what you mean by that. I thought rocks were rocks. <laughs> it's a good question. So here at CU, I teach quite a bit about um, water and the environment. And in general, when we're looking for um, areas that are habitable even for human civilizations, we look for surface water where there's rivers and streams, but we often also have access to groundwater beneath us. And that's when we drill wells or we find ways to pump water out of, of several hundred meters below our feet in the subsurface. So it's those exact same environments where we draw water from, which are also habitable for microorganisms. So um, just re remind me of the, the strata um, beneath our feet, uh, because uh, uh, there's, a, there's a few layers, and I want to know whereabouts we're talking about for this life. Well, I mean, here where I stand in Colorado, I can look out my window and I see these rocks steeply jutting up into the air, and those same rocks then go steeply down beneath my feet. And they're all sandstones, and they have lots of voids in them, sometimes 30% of the rock is empty. And so those voids then hold and store water. And we use it here as a water resource that sustains Denver and Boulder. And some of the places that I work that are further remote, such as in Oman, where it's a desert, sometimes there's no water on the surface, but you can drill wells down into those rocks. And they're, they're, these rocks are ones that came from much deeper within the earth a long time ago. They've been pushed onto the land surface now, they've been fractured, and they've filled with water, and they've held and stored that water. And so that's the place that we can access to draw water out today. Okay, so we're not talking about um, thousands of meters underneath the surface of the, the planet. We're talking, you know, a, a few tens of meters? So we often use wells that maybe go 300, 400 meters deep. Um, so wow. you know, soon you're almost at a half a kilometer. There is water stored often within several kilometers near the Earth's surface, um, and it's just a matter of accessing them. And this this happens, for example, when we 
drill deep mines for all sorts of different resources that we're extracting. One of the biggest challenges for miners is that they have to dewater the mines. They actually have to pump to get the water up and out mm. of those operations because they fill so fast. So it's a very common phenomenon that you can go, in those cases, sometimes several kilometers below the surface, and, and any time you excavate there, you fill those holes with water unless you actively do something about it. So I, I'm, I'm trying to imagine what on earth organisms, uh, uh, you know, animals can feed on so deep down under the crust. Right. Um, in the oceans, people have done a lot of exploration going into the deepest sediments of the sea. And in those environments, they can find often a lot of the remains of um, algae and, and phytoplankton, things that lived in the surface ocean and died and fell down there and were buried. When we go in the kind of rocks I'm talking about, a lot of the times we're looking for energy that's being released from the rock itself. So it turns out on Earth, a lot of our rocks contain, for example, metals like iron in them. And that iron is not stable when it gets into contact with the water. Iron is driven to react with the water and it evolves gases like molecular hydrogen. And it's that hydrogen that we're hunting for in the deep subsurface as a potential food or, or fuel or energy source for life. How do you, um, microbes live off hydrogen? How, how could that be a, a food? So if one of the best ways to do it, if they could have something like we have in our atmosphere, oxygen, that's actually incredibly powerful. It's, um, you, you take hydrogen and you split it into an electron and a proton and you combine that with oxygen and a huge amount of energy is released. So that's one possibility. But it turns out hydrogen can be split into its electron component by many different kinds of life, many different organisms, and they can find all sorts of things to combine it with that are energetically favorable. So it gives them power for their metabolism. Right, so what sort of animals are we looking for and how do we find them? So in this case, most of the time, the, the, the life forms themselves are, are microbial. Um, there are different bacteria or, um, or organisms like that that live in these environments. So it's not macro scale life. Even when people look on hydrothermal vents on the seafloor and they see the tube worms or other systems, those are organisms that are being sustained by bacteria using chemical energy like hydrogen or, or sulfide. In this case, we're really interested in, in just the microscopic life forms that are present and just the bacteria that are in the water and in the rock porosity or in the rock fractures. Uh, but there, there are some um, very small creatures that do live in these sort of environments, aren't there? Yeah, I, in South Africa, in some of the deepest gold mines there, they're starting to find some really strange um types of organisms and worms and other sort of higher life forms that are also present with the microbial biofilms or, or um, communities that are there. We haven't found something similar to that in many of the systems we've looked at, but there may be many surprises for us yet. What is different about the sort of bacteria and um, microorganisms that you come across that are coming from the rock underneath us versus the ones we find under our mm -hmm. noses free to be quite literal about it well we're very curious how they can survive under the extreme conditions that they're 
sustaining themselves mm-hmm. in. So we're very interested in that, how they sort of handle the insults of, the, of their lifestyle. And, and an example would be when when water goes down into the kinds of rocks that, that we've been studying and, and all these iron minerals start reacting in the what happens is the pH of the water get, goes up and up and up, and it gets to some of the most alkaline or high pH values we see anywhere on Earth. So sometimes the pH is 11 or above 12. And this is something that can damage the cells and their membranes very rapidly. Um, it's very hard for them to find any carbon, which is what they're building their bodies out of, because it's really not available in those kinds of waters. Um, so that's one area where we're interested in how they survive and function. There often is also just a very slow bleed of energy. It's a, it's a geological process that's creating the molecular hydrogen and that they might be using to grow. And so it can be very slowly produced. And so we're interested if they're just very slowly growing and surviving in these conditions. And and that is very different than the way we study most life near the surface or at the surface of the earth. Why is this important to research? Well, right now, if there's many organisms that can live in these chemically these rocks that have a chemistry that we see all over the subsurface of the Earth, and we find that same chemistry in the subsurface of Mars or other moons of planets in our solar system, they can live in those rocks using chemical energy derived from the water circulating through those rocks. That opens up a vast realm of what we call sort of habitable conditions or habitability in our solar system, places where life could thrive and and persist. And so what we're trying to do is to understand how they live there and under what conditions they can and can't survive so that we would know what might be the same sort of habitable niches in other systems as well. How likely do you think it is that we would find microbial life on places like Mars or uh, other planets in our solar system? So I end up thinking of the question two different ways. One is, what's the likelihood it might be present there now or previously, and what's our likelihood of being able to detect it. Hmm. I do believe that there are a lot of states of Mars and its past to present, or states of the system in moons of Jupiter, like at Europa, um, that have been in a habitable state that could have sustained life like what we see in some of these rocks. However, to access those rocks or access the records of them being present is really challenging. And I think there's been, there's a lot of consideration going on to how often would the signals of of that kind of life maybe be delivered to the surface of another planet or a moon? And would we be able to recognize it? So they end up being two different challenges. Where could this and when could this have been possible? And then how would you recognize it and know how to detect it? So how did life end up in in the rocks so deep? I mean, do you think it could have originated there or do you think it is it traveled down there because it seems like a a crazy evolutionary decision to go to a place so lacking in almost anything? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question too. So um we know that there's always communication with the surface because that is the way the water infiltrates and moves in and moves out. So there is a circulation that's always going on of water through rocks in the shallow subsurface of the earth and again on other so-called rocky bodies. 
So that communication, we can't ignore. It's there. So then you can ask the question, is life just being transferred into the rock system and, and just persisting, trying to some fraction of that survives? Or is there are there actually organisms adapted to live well there? Or in your case, you're asking, could they also originate there? Um, so what we're clearly finding is that there's organisms that can be adapted to low energy conditions, maybe low carbon availability, these challenges of the high pH that we are talking about. That seems to be true, and we're able to interrogate organisms to figure out how they do it. Now what a lot of people are working on, including us, is getting the genomes of the organisms that, that we can extract from these deep subsurface environments and looking at whether or not they're, they um, sort of show pathways to ancient metabolisms, earliest forms of energy conservation, and tell us more about how they could have functioned at some of our earliest stages of biology in this rock context. Could they have originated there or did they need to be delivered there? Well, Dr. Alexis S. Templeton, Associate Professor of Geological Sciences at University of Colorado, thank you very much for joining us. Great. Thank you very much. 